Okay, so what we're going to talk about tonight, how, uh, <clears throat> I was going to, should I preface it, Lord? Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 25. And we're going to talk today about how many of you would like to know what the meaning of life is? I don't, I don't know why that has been uh, rolling through my head. There's something going on behind me, Brad. There's, uh, um, but really coming to, the t coming to an understanding, you know, it's something that the world is, people in the world are seeking after all the time. What is the meaning of life? <clears throat> Here's my definition. To discover your divine destiny and engage in the struggle to achieve it. How many of you say, you know, most of those words I liked. How many of you say, anybody, any, anybody have a word in that sentence there that you weren't particularly fond of? Um, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight, uh, is that word that we don't like in that sentence. Because if we try to understand and get our head around this thing that we would otherwise be complete vanity, this thing called life, a pointlessness that has not only no point, it has negative points because of the struggle. If the struggle doesn't have a meaning, if it doesn't have a purpose, if I'm just struggling today so that I can struggle again tomorrow so that I can, you know, ward off all the bad things as long as I possibly can, at which point they will overcome me, I will pass from this place and leave it all to you guys to keep on struggling. Like, does that sound like anybody would be interested in that? Doesn't it sound like life at, on those terms would be a cosmic joke? And so understanding this concept of struggle and coming to terms with it in our own lives. Because we talked about this before a little bit that, you know, God in his wisdom, you know, if you look at Genesis chapter one in the very beginning when God was creating this dimension, this natural universe that we live in, and it could be a billion more dimensions, but this one that we live in, God created it with space, time, and matter. In the beginning, God created the earth, the in the beginning being time, the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. The problem with this world is the matter part. The struggle that we have is against the forces of gravity. That in order for me, if I'm laying down on the ground, in order for me to get up off the ground, I have to resist gravity. It's, I have to exert force. You know, when you get to heaven, you leave all the matter part down here. I don't, I don't know if they told you that. And when you leave this place, all that goes is spirit and the, the spirit realm is there and the time realm is still there. How many of you know devil, the devil knows there's time happening, right? God, there is time in heaven. It's not days like we have it here because there's no sun and moon, right? It's just continual time. I think you lose track of it, perhaps. I lose track of it. And we do have the day and night thing. And so... Um, but the key to it is this realm, the specific part about this realm, this dimension, this life, is actually the struggle part, the part we don't like, the part that God could have undone. He could even do it right now. Before I finish the sentence, he could go back to the beginning, change it all. None of us would know. And there would be no more struggle. But the issue that we have to contend with is that this life the struggle that we have in this life 
I'm not deifying the struggle. We're going to talk about that. But this, the, the, we have to have a certain relationship towards the struggle. Mm. Otherwise, well, let's just say it like this. We have, when we, when, we've, when we come into this world, we struggle to survive, and then we struggle to discover our destiny, and then we struggle to prepare for our destiny, and then we struggle to achieve our destiny. Those are all struggles. They're all the same. That, you know, if you, we'll, we'll talk about that a wee bit tonight. But they're all different. But they are all nonetheless struggles. And so let me try to stick a little bit to my notes. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 25. Uh, and let's just read a scripture. You want to stand up? We'll read the scripture. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Unto one he gave five talents, unto another two, unto another one, to everyone according as his several ability, and straightway took his journey. And then he had received, then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made yet another five talents. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained another two. Uh, he that received the one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of the servants cometh, and he reckoned with him. And so he that had received the five brought it, uh, the other five, saying, Lord, I, you gave me five, and here I have given you another five. And the, and the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee rule over much. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And he that had received two talents came, and the Lord delivered unto him, uh, he delivered unto the Lord the, the extra two talents. Behold, I have gained another two besides them, he said. And the Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. And then he which had only the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a tough guy and reaping where you had not sown, delivering where you had not strawed, a little bit of privilege there. And I was afraid and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, this is that which is yours. And the Lord answered him and said, You wicked and slothful servant, thou knowest that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I had not strawed. Thou ought Therefore, to have put my money to the, to the exchangers, and at least I would come back to receiving my own money with interest. Take that from him, and give, him, give it unto him which has ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and, everyone sh and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he has. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gosh, that doesn't sound good. Okay, sit down. And so, um, sit down if you'd like. You may also remain standing. Uh, so let's take a look at this whole concept. If you're willing to accept that no matter what, because I, I know that we don't like the concept of struggle. Humankind has never liked this concept of struggle. But struggle is nevertheless a reality in this realm, and we need to have a right relationship to it. Um, so the first thing that we read from this scripture, because we're going to try and glean a fair amount from this scripture, it's a very important scripture. Most of this you have not heard it for the first time today. Um, but it's a very important scripture. You know that because it's repeated in three of the gospels. And so because of that, you know this has been, this is pretty impactful. Two, it was not a teaching that Jesus just gave to one person or just to a select group of people. This was a public discussion that Jesus was having using this parable as very instructive of the kingdom of God and how it works. And so then, because of all of those things, not that there's ways of rating the red letters and all that kind of stuff, but we do recognize that we, uh, we ought to at for sure know this one. 
because of the fact that Jesus was using it as one of his foundational teachings. And so a couple of things that we need to glean from it is uh, it doesn't matter where you start, okay? You're, you're, you don't get credit. Your, your destiny uh, is not to take what has been given with to you and just hold on to it until the end. The key to it is no matter what you've been given, no matter how up, uh, how high the shoulders are that you started on, that doesn't matter. You don't get credit for being born on the top of the world. You still have to take the top of the world higher. That's still your job. You're not going to get credit for anything that was given to you or done for you by somebody else. Because somebody else is going to get credit for that. Right? You see that in this parable where the guy that got five didn't get credit for the original five. He got credit with what, and you can see that in the guy that got one. Right, because we have, I have a, if I was telling the story today, I'd have four guys. I'd have the guy that gave, got five. I'd have the guy that got two. I'd have the guy that got one. And I'd have another guy that got one. The other guy that got one would have cashed in the talent and spent it. Because we got a lot of those going on in our world today too, right? Who want to take this, this world that has been created, this mastery of, of amazing world that we were given and they were left a trust fund or something like that. And all their life is, is to go spend the trust fund. So they're going to end their life less than when they started. They don't even got the original. Do you see that? And so we have to recognize that there are scripturally things that discount the advantage that we got when we started off the game. Or the advantage that we're given <clears throat> because somebody else is being faithful to what they're supposed to do and they're giving you stuff because it's going to end up, we're going to get to the end of the story here and your destiny is to give stuff to somebody else. But they don't get credit for that. And so when we are engaged in this process, no matter where you start, the five guy, the two guy and the one guy, we're all supposed to do something yes. to create increase based on the platform that they started from. The, 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 uh, the two guy wasn't, didn't need to make five. The two guy just needed to make two. The five guy, I mean, the one guy didn't need to make five. He didn't need to get worried about, oh my gosh, I can't win the race. You don't need to win the race. You need to take what you were given and do something with it. Make another one or make another two or make another five. Not that you're limited to just doubling, but... You, the, but all of this is conditional on where you started, but it isn't giving you credit. You don't say my destiny is just to hang out here. You, you, we see that if we take a look at a couple of the examples, we're not going to do the examples tonight, we'll do that some other time. When you look at Abraham, you know, I, it's very hard for me to be critical of somebody in the Bible. Uh, you know, that whole reap and sow thing. And so, um, but we recognize in, in Isaac's life, that at least in my, you know, as I watch what was supposed to happen with Abraham's life and take over wherever your feet tread, that shall I give you. And I believe Isaac was supposed to do that. He was supposed to take the advantage that Abraham had given him, the ability to reap in a famine, which is, by the way, the way Joseph ended up getting it a couple generations later, was learning how to reap in a famine. Yes. And he was, which eventually came around and produced Moses, which produced that, which they came around and eventually knew how to take over the promised land. But I think Isaac could do that. Yeah. Isaac just didn't understand 
that his job wasn't just to occupy inside the sheepfold that his father had left him. He was supposed to take over. And then, as I think I mentioned to you before, then Jacob and Esau would have been the perfect people to run the country that uh, Isaac would have taken over. This was perfect. God had it all set up. It was going to be super easy, zippity-doo. They would have loved their jobs, but it didn't go that way because they didn't realize that they were supposed to take what they were given and increase it. Their destiny, their God-given uh, potential of their lives was lost. We see that also with David, right? David, um, you know, spent his whole life achieving some amazing things so that when uh, Solomon came along, the country was unified. Uh, the tribes, let's say, the, 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 the tribes of Israel were all unified at the end of David's life. And then he had tons of cash in the bank, all kinds of stuff ready to go. Solomon kind of came into the whole deal, the richest man in the world. Intention, obviously, for God was not necessarily that Solomon was just going to squander that. The intention of God was that Solomon was going to do whatever he needed to do to take that up to the next level, which to some degree he did because he you know, took his father's money and he built the temple and you know, there was a lot of great things. At least we can some measure somewhere in Solomon's life that he was on good track. Maybe didn't stay on track all the way. That's up to you to decide. But there was a responsibility that Solomon had as he took it to another level. So Jesus also did that with his disciples. He took them a certain amount of way, like Paul with Timothy, took them a certain amount of the way. And then when they left, there was an additional responsibility that those disciples had in order to take the game up to another level. And so what Jesus had accomplished in this particular region, which was Jesus's destiny, remember he said, I'm not even sent to the, to the lost, I am, uh, to the Gentiles, I'm sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But then the lost sheep of Israel, of which those 11 were, they, and plus one, Paul was then zippity dude into it after, but they were supposed to go and take on their job, which was uh, take over the world, take over the, help the Gentiles to understand these things too. So they took it up to another level. Everybody taking it up to a level, take it up to another level, take it up to another level. You just try and imagine where would the world be today if every single human being, particularly those people who have even got an inkling that God may be in fact real, where would we be now as humankind if every single person had gone after the destiny and the, and the, the, the journey of discovering destiny and then fulfilling destiny and being willing to struggle through that whole season in order to get at least some of it done. Imagine, now there's been a lot of them that have done that, but imagine how, how far ahead we would be as a, as, a, as a species if we would have been able to do that. How much suffering would not have happened if we would have been able to do that? And so that kind of gets some food for thought. Um, your destiny is to take uh, where you were given to the next level. There, and there's always a next level. You know, we, we have all been born into a culture that is almost infinitely beyond any other culture that has ever existed on the planet. I mean, just the idea we got indoor plumbing and cell phones has just got us just off the chart. Solomon would just, he would, he would come into our world and faint at the way we live. That that doesn't mean this is the top of the pile. 
Because, you know, if you lived in the Persian Empire in the day of Xerxes, you would have said, man, this is the top of the pile. Living in Rome in the times of Marcus Aurelius, you'd have said, this is the top of the pile. And we'll say today, this is the top of the pile, but God say, no, it ain't. You've got 100 miles to go yet. You've gone about six feet or so. There's another 100 miles of where you can go as a species, where the genius and the destiny of God expressed through a life of a human. There's no end to that. There is just the human complacency that says, boy, we're, we can just sort of coast now. This is going to be great. And there's a lot of that mentality in our world today that says, I'm just going to coast from here. We got tons in the bank. We'll just coast. Instead of their, the reality of that saying, wait a minute, if this is what makes my life meaningful, if the, if the sense, this profound sense on the inside of me that I am doing that very thing, it's come up, I think Dr. Julie was just sharing, or somebody was just sharing about tonight already, about how we have this sense of meaning because this, there is a call, there is a force that is speaking to us perhaps in very unusual ways through emotion and through imagery and through tears and through desire and through some of these type of things that are moving us forward, even though we can't tell really what force is moving me forward. It is still there pushing at us. If we, if we interpret that as being destiny, as being this force on the inside that is guided by God, trying to get us somewhere, prodding us forward to try and get us somewhere. Then the sense that we get out of living life is almost like uh, it's the satisfaction, if you want to call it that. I don't know if it's a good word or not. But the sense that I am doing what I was called, destined, designed to do is only going to be there if I'm somehow fulfilling or on my way to at least discovering why was I put here in the first place? And that's where this whole principle of struggle comes into play significantly. There's no such thing as a person ever born on this planet that had a destiny that they did not have to struggle to achieve. That has, has never been a person born like that. No matter where, they imagine Solomon, right? Solomon comes into the game. You'd think Solomon was, was got, you know, just dude, just coast. You got the trust funds right there. It's cool, it's coast. You got 672 wives. You got lots to do. But that wasn't Solomon's destiny. Solomon was still being drawn forward by God into a very particular plan, even though he was born at the very top of the mountain. If you are, now let's, let's take a look at our, our world. Um, if you are struggle averse, which I believe a lot of people are. If our destiny, let's, let's do the math the other way. Um, if in fact, I have to struggle to discover my destiny, struggle to prepare for my destiny and struggle to achieve my destiny. There's a common verb in all that. If I'm not willing to struggle, then am I going to be ready to struggle to discover something? The answer would be no. Then would I even think about struggling to prepare for it? We wouldn't even get to that. I wouldn't even get to the struggle to achieve it part. 
I would already have forfeited my destiny. Therefore, the math on all of this is very simple. If I am not willing to struggle, I am forfeiting my destiny. That's amazing, eh? Considering how many people would even proudly define themselves as I'm working in order to not struggle. Now, watch what happens here if that is our, our mantra, our, our, our modus operandi is I'm trying to not struggle. So what I'm looking for in every area of my life, if my objective is not to struggle, then I am going to come to crossroad after crossroad after crossroad after crossroad in my life. And when I'm looking to not struggle, I'm going to take a look at this path and I'm going to look at this path. How am I going to rate the, the quality of those paths? I'm just going to look at them and I'm going to say, which way do I struggle less? And I'm going to go that way. But can I tell you something about this, that whole decision right there? And I have watched this over thousands of people and I have watched in my own life and not proud of them all. But can I tell you something? The, the easiest path looks like the hardest path. And the hardest path looks like the easiest path. Every time. Like, I, you know, let's, let's go way back. I don't know how many of you were in high school still. But it's easier to skip school than it is to go to school. But how many of you know it's harder? It was easier maybe that day, but it was not easier. It made life a lot harder. Some of us made that mistake. And then we, then we had to, the next level, then we struggled to do this. It was easier to go and wake up early and go get a job, or it was easier to wait for mommy to do it for us. Now, it seemed easier to do it that, but how many of you know that's the hard way? Eventually, the easy way becomes the hard way every single time. We have to accept the fact that as I am coming up to this crossroads, as I look at it, there's going to be an easy, because um, I'm going to size them up. And I'm going to look at them and I'm going to say, if I'm committed to the easy way to, to try not to struggle, I'm always going to go the easy way. Eventually, I won't even be able to go the tough way. Alex keeps asking me to go to the gym with him, and I'm saying, you know what? I think it's easier if I stay home. <laughs> you know, there's going to come a day. Well, there's not. Let's say somebody else, using that same math, who's a lot dumber than me. There will come a day in their life where they can't go. It's not that they're choosing not to anymore. They just can't. The doctor is going to tell them, nah. You see, what happens is struggle and our attitude towards struggle is going to determine whether we reach our destiny. Are you? Yeah, yeah, come on up. A toy story? Is that what you're about to tell me? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, right. So we have a garden in, our, in my basement, him and I, an experiment. And Olivia. Olivia, too. Olivia thinks she's growing her baby plants, and then she eats them, and she's very confused. So in our first round of things, we basically this garden situation is like the ultimate growing times 100. Yes. Perfect fertilization, everything the plant would need. They don't even have to try. It's like ideal Garden of Eden. And we grew tomatoes. We tried to grow tomatoes. Ferocious tomatoes. We grew these plants that within a couple of weeks were like 
literally four feet tall. It was crazy. But we couldn't get any tomatoes. And lots of flowers, no tomatoes. Lots of flowers. And so we thought we had to introduce bees into my house, which we obviously, that was his idea. We didn't do that. Didn't, thanks to my mom. I just didn't think it through. Who's the voice of reason? Usually I'm just like, yeah, dad, you want to put bees in the house? Go for it. Let's do it. But we didn't I mean, do how that. How committed are you to the garden? Right. Really was the question, right? We didn't do that. But then we researched, because normally if you have flowers, you get fruit. So we researched why we did not get tomatoes, yeah. and it said that you cannot get fruit with a plant that does not have to struggle. Yeah, interesting. If everything is too available and the plant doesn't have to strengthen itself by struggling, it will not produce yeah. fruit. Needless to say, we got no tomatoes from our perfect environment. Okay, great story. Um, so the key of it would be that we need to adjust our attitude towards struggling. It's the ultimate not awesome message that you come to church to listen to. No one can do what you were meant to do as well as you. That's what uh, some of the things about destiny. Why this is so important is that your destiny, you were specifically, we've talked about this before, you were specifically and perfectly made for the end, the fullness, the, the, the absolute epitome of your destiny, should you reach it, you are already equipped to do that. And not necessarily equipped. You have the potential to do that. You get equipping along the way. But in you is that ability. But because of that, there's nobody that can do your destiny like you can. If you were, uh, if your destiny goes, so excuse me, your destiny goes to somebody else if you don't do it. You see that in the parable, right? Where the, 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 the one dollar, the one talent guy got it taken away from him and given to somebody who was going to be willing to do something with it. But even if that were to happen, so that's good. I feel like doing nothing. So I guess somebody else is good. But they can't do it like you. Humankind will not advance as much as it could have advanced with your gift if you choose to not do it. I'm not, I'm not making you afraid. I'm trying to make you feel important. The destiny that you have is ridiculously important. So important that God risked you making the ultimate mistake and ending up in, in order to get your destiny done. He created you with that risk. Imagine how important your job is for God to say, it is so important that that gets done. I'm going to take the risk. Imagine. Uh, Every time a destiny is lost or transferred, the whole plan of humanity has to be redesigned. <laughs> you think God's got a little on his plate? Every time that happens, God has still got a destiny. He's still got a prophetic plan that he's working towards getting everybody to. When one person out of six billion fails their destiny, God has to redo the plan to still be able to get there. That's why he takes it often and gives the destiny to somebody else as he can. He obviously, if there's only one guy doing it for God, he's not going to have the destiny of six billion on his shoulders. But God's going to do everything he can to keep humankind still on the path to be able to get to their destiny. Destiny comes down then. Think of the math here. Destiny comes down to a willingness and fortitude to struggle. 
Because destiny comes down to what am I going to do at the crossroad? And you've, you did 50 of them today. What am I going to do at the crossroad? If I am committed to always doing it in the easy way, what works best for me, realize what we're doing. We're setting ourselves up for a meaningless life. Isn't that kind of, that's kind of harsh. You see, the who, what, where, when, why, and how, and how much, is all along the path that you don't need that. That is all going to be there for you. What you need, what we need, is the willingness, and then because of the willingness, at least the fortitude to take one step, to make the right decision, the best we know how, not the easy decision at that crossroad. I mean, when you have God doing it with you, if that's where you are in your, in your relationship to him, taking the hard path with, when I know God is with me is not actually that hard. But you have to have learned, have, this, this model of how do I make decisions has got to become ingrained in you so that when I stand at the crossroads, I remember way back in the beginning, Brad and Donnie, you might even remember this, one of the teachings from back in the middle of my illustrious career as a, as a pastor. By the way, when I used to preach for three or four hours a Sunday, they can tell you about those days. But one of the scriptures, one of the teachings I did the one time was there's two paths that you see. One of them kind of wanders through a beautiful garden path. The other one looks like it goes over a cliff. The reality of it is this one is the easy one because this one doesn't go over a cliff. It wanders down into a beautiful land. And this one here that looks like a beautiful path actually goes over the cliff. That was my observation way back then. And I'm telling you, it has proven to be true over and over and over and over and over again that the learning to take, and, and I'm, I am not a proponent of do it afraid, right? Because I know I've learned enough from some very smart people that fear is the enemy of a human being and that 85, 95, 99.5, whatever the number is, of the diseases and difficulties that human beings face that kill them at, at whatever, 80 years old, are fear-related, stress-related. So I'm not a proponent of doing it afraid. I am an, a, a proponent of when you get to that crossroad, being able to realize, I would much rather go the easy, simple way here, but I'm recognizing that that's not necessarily the right way. And if I'm struggling to go the hard way, my relationship with God comes into, comes into, you know, uh, into uh, the forefront here. That if I'm feeling I'm afraid to go that way, then I need to talk to God and go, why am I afraid to go that way? If that is in fact the right way for me, why am I afraid? Why don't I want to go that way? And then in my relationship with God, you get all this dynamics of God is going to set you free of whatever you were afraid of going down that road. Yeah. Then you get set free and you're no longer afraid. I'm full of faith, hope, and love about it. And I go that way. Just learning that dynamic of saying, I'm going to struggle through this issue. I'm just not going to keep defaulting to the easy way to go. Because right. when I default to the easy way, I don't end up actually even willing to talk about what my destiny would be. 
In 1 Timothy, if you want to go over there, 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's just, let's go there because some of these, you know, there's just, especially this teaching, you just got to read it in the book. How many of you say, I love the book? Um, okay, uh, verse 6, if thou put to, uh, let me put a different translation. Uh, where do you want to listen from? How about New Living Translation? JP, this one's for you. Uh, if you explain these things to brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be worthy, a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who nourishes by the message of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly, a physical training is good, hallelujah, but training for godliness, that, don't use that one, Alex, uh, for training is go for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a, trust a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Teach these things and insist that everybody learn them. Oh, can, I, can you make it any more plain than that at all, Paul? Those words, if you, t if you uh, um, uh, my Bible says labor, where it says there, um, uh, work hard and continue to struggle. That word work hard is, uh, in my translation, King James, old King James, the one that Jesus used, was <laughs> labor. It's the word labor, and it is a labor in the sense of a wearisome effort. It's a, like a toil, but I thought we were delivered from toil. We'll get to that. This thing that Paul is telling Timothy to make sure as a good Christian to not only do this yourself, but make sure, insist upon it that other people learn how to do this, is to labor with a wearisome effort and suffer, struggle. You know, that, that word is a, is a very interesting word. It's a kind of a word picture. We don't even have a word for it in our English language. This is a word for being called out by name, but with shame. How many of you remember when your mom called you, Ian Alistair McDonald? How many of you know that that's not a good thing? When you get called out by your name like that. Yeah. That's what this is referring to. That when you are in the midst of this journey, that there is a shame. There's not a shame. It's not, it's not a bad shame in the sense that I, you know, because Jesus has delivered us from shame. But it is that place where I am willing to go the hard way. And that in the midst of going that hard way, other people may look at you and go, Wow, you, there's, a, there's something wrong with you to always be struggling like that. And in the midst of that, though, what is happening to us is that we are being transformed into people who are not afraid to struggle. I'm not looking for struggle, by the way. I'm not waking up in the morning and praying that God would give me some reason to struggle today. How many of you need to pray for more reasons to struggle? Does anybody figure out your, your bag's full on this old struggle thing? It's not that I am exercising my faith to have more reasons to struggle. 
The problem is, is that if I am struggle averse, then when things start coming into my life that are in fact preparing me. How many of you remember when Paul, uh, it's a story about meeting Jesus on the path. You remember on the way, on the road to Damascus, you know, Jesus kind of gives him a good shot and he falls on the floor. I don't know if that was Jesus or not, but work with my translation here. What did, what did Jesus say to Paul when he said, who are you? He said, Jesus said to him, Paul, why do you kick against the pricks? Right. And what he's saying, to, I'm trying to get the context of it because that's a pretty weird way to be introducing yourself. The, the, the word in the, the old word for that was, why are you kicking against the goads? And this is, if you're an animal rights person, this is going to be, a, uh, this is not a fun part of the service today. What a goad was, it was a stick with barbs in it, like straight, you know, like pointy things. And what you would do with this goad, it would kind of, you know, we, have you ever seen a cattle prod like that, except old world, no electricity. It had, it had pins in the end. And what you did to a cow or a cattle or something is if he wasn't going in the right direction, you'd poke him, prick him with the thing. And so what Jesus, Jesus is saying to Paul is that I'm trying to get you going in a particular direction. Why are you pushing against the pricks? I'm trying to get you to go down that road. That's me, Jesus said, trying to get you to go down that road. And what are you doing in your stubbornness, like a stubborn mule, you're pushing against the cattle prod. How many of you think that'd be fun? And so that's what, this is how Jesus introduces himself to Paul. Why are you kicking against the pricks? Why is it that as I'm going, I'm trying to lead you towards the, now Paul is murdering Christians at this time. God is interacting with Paul, however God was doing that, trying to bring the message of Jesus to somebody who studied the word of God all his life. You think Paul might have had a, a shot here at recognizing the word of God when he showed up and said hi, but he didn't. Because what God had been doing all along was trying to get Paul to realize something. And it was in the struggle that he could have used a staff. Why are you pushing against the staff? Why are you pushing against my elbow? Why are you pushing against me kissing you on the cheek? He didn't say that. He said, why are you kicking against the goads? I'm pushing you for a good reason, because I need you to go the other way, the, the, the way that seems like it's hard. It seems like the cow doesn't want to go that way. God is often in his instructions to us, leading us towards something that is good for us, that is going to be destiny-focused things, and we don't want to go that way because it seems like it might be a little harder. But the, what we are paying, the price we are paying for that is extraordinary. Not just in our own lives and in the destiny, the reason, the purpose for which we were designed. 
the reason we even draw breath. But it's greater than that because we have this, you know, tapestry kind of thing with all other human beings that are here today and going to be here for all the time of humanity. And God's saying, your life is called to impact the very history, the very course of humankind. It's like, oh, no, no, that's not me. No, it is. It is. Our culture, let me stay on path. Uh, yeah. You struggle so that you can get used to struggling. The struggle has a purpose unto itself. Do you know that you, walk, you learn to walk, which is a struggle, so that you can learn to run, which is a struggle? But you can't start off learning to run. You have to be struggling. It's linear. You have to be struggling in a path like that. Does that make some sense? This qualifies you by, by struggling, by in willingness to struggle, fortitude in the midst of the willingness, because you can, you will not face the crossroad. Alex said this the other day. Pastor, excuse me. Pastor Alex said this the other day that there's, a, that, you know, there's a, 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 God puts you, uh, there's so many intersections that we have in our lives that we don't even know we're having. But there are some that we do know we're having. And we're kind of struggling at that moment, which way am I going to go? That struggle is God or, is permitted, at least, not necessarily God-ordained. Sometimes we got ourselves into stuff. God still tries to get us out, but we got ourselves there. And that's a lot of our lives, actually. But the, the journey then, God knows, you can get out of this. And I want you to go this way, so not only do you get out, you get out with the knowledge and the strength that comes from getting out and being victorious off, out of the getting. And also, I, was, I don't know if I told you guys this before, but this was before Christmas. I was so mad. I, I, I shouldn't keep saying that. You know, I was in a bit of an argumentative mood with God. Can I say it like that? And God said to me, he said, you know what, Ian? Sometimes you have to take the stairs. And instantly... I could see his imagery inside of my mind. You know, sometimes you get to take the elevator. But sometimes you have to take the stairs. Because you're not going to learn stuff on the elevator that you learn on the stairs. How many of you know that? Sometimes you have to take the stairs. And God was saying, just be okay with that. Because if I always take the elevator, then if I ever do have to take the stairs, how many of you have ever taken the stairs after you haven't taken the stairs for a bit? Right, I was chasing, I shouldn't tell you this. I was chasing, you know, Livia loves hide. Hide is a game. Uh, and so Jess's house, and so there's a long hallway down the middle of Jess's house. And so off I go like a little jackrabbit because, you know, you have to go hide. So I'd done it a couple times. And then this time I decided how, where I was going to hide. That goes into their bedroom at the end of that hallway. And so I ran into the room and I, you know, got the covers of their, the comforter of their, threw it over my head and hid in the little ball in the middle. Aww which was genius, by the way. She did not find me. But in the meanwhile, I am under the covers feeling like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass out here. I am so out of shape. 
I was breathing heavy. There wasn't a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of oxygen in that little, you know, that little spot. And I couldn't stretch it out or I'd get caught and I wasn't going to get caught. Okay. This, not as healed as I perhaps you'd like me to be, but. Why was I telling you that story? Taking the stairs, right? When you, if you don't take the stairs sometimes, when it comes time to take the stairs, you, you actually can't. That's the message. And we need to be, you know, us, us people, us folk who are trying, who recognize that there may even be a reason that we are here. See, people in the world, especially the ones nowadays, they don't really accept that as a premise. They are an accident of a cosmic accident. There's no reason that humans exist. We're just, I don't know, in the basic passage of time, they're expecting us to blow ourselves up at any time. And so we'll be a little blip on the radar of Mother Nature, but then that'll be over. They don't even think there is a purpose. That's why they're very committed to now and me. But there are some people who can see this. There's people who are, are, are quiet enough with God to realize there's something going on down there. Because otherwise, my desire to sacrifice and serve other people and serve purpose and serve humanity, that's dumb. But there's something pushing you. Right? Or you're nuts. Some of you, jury is still out on that. But there's a reason for it. We have to get a hold of that. And Psalm chapter 10, verse 6 says this. The wicked say... The wicked say, I will not struggle. Ooh, right? The wicked say, uh, 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 Psalms 10.6. Talking about, you know, and it kind of does a lot of things in that little scripture, if you're familiar with it, to say about what wicked people be like. And one of those things is that the wicked people say, I will not struggle. And there's so many people because of our culture that have actually taken that on as a legitimate desire in their life. I'm going to build all around me all of these mechanisms by which I will not struggle. And what they're doing when they do that is this cost. And it's, remember, wicked, you have to remember, God is not making fun of people by calling them wicked. Right? He's just saying people whose understanding is flipped upside down and curvy all over the place. They end up thinking like this. And we have to recognize that there may be a tendency being, you know, saturated by the world and its system that we've got some of that going on in us. Our culture, this is a Christian's life says this, I will be victorious in all of my struggles as I follow God's leading and destiny and purpose in my life. That's actually what a Christian says. Not that I will not struggle. It says that I will be victorious over all of my struggles. And when we can transform the way we think like this in our head towards that, all of a sudden, I become willing to engage in discussions with God I was never willing to discuss before. Our culture is obsessed with not struggling, which means they have chosen meaningless lives. Let's, let's just think about that. Instead, we move from level to level in our lives, and moving from level to level 
involves struggle. It's effort, like climbing stairs. You can't climb stairs if you are not willing to exert some effort. If we never embrace a life of struggle, we reject this premise and reject our destiny. So many people don't even like to hear what I'm saying right now. I don't actually like to hear what I'm saying right now. I would like it to be, I was very committed to the other way around. Let me put that, this caveat in here. We are not called to remain under the boot of the enemy. That is not the struggle I am talking about. So if you're equating struggle with being dominated by the devil, that's completely wrong, right? James tells us, James was the brother of Jesus. And if you've ever, if you read the book of, I was thinking of tearing it out of my Bible, but if you have read the book of James, you know, and the life of James, all from legend, you know that this guy knew some things. He was the biological half-brother of Jesus. And so was Jude. I don't know if you knew that. A couple of writers of the New Testament there. So this guy knew some stuff. And he said it like this. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Which two verbs are you responsible for? Submit and resist. Does that sound a little bit like it's got some struggle in it? The flee from you part is not your job. It doesn't say you make him flee or you chase him down the hall. It says you submit. That's really a fun word for us North Americans. And resist. And so it's clear there that our relationship with the kingdom of darkness isn't to be struggling under their boot as they kick us around for the rest of our lives. I'm not talking about that. I'm not even kind of talking about that. Instead of that, we are ready to struggle with the word of God to get done the things that we were designed to get done in our lives. Imagine, think about it like this. Imagine a perfect world, however you would define that, and then set yourself to the struggle to bring it to pass. Can I tell you something? Your imagine of a perfect world will not be the same as mine. Everybody's imagine of a perfect world will be subtly different. Some of us radically different. Because my opportunities, the things that I perceive the world would be so much better if, that I care about, are part of my destiny. Maybe not explicitly or directly, but the fact that I care about them and would like to see them changed indicate to me that there's something there that is part of my destiny. When you do that, look at the perfect world in your mind. If only we could solve this problem. Now, at first, uh, this is observational. At first, when we see the problem that we would like to fix, we see it at a very surface level. And then as we decide we're going to engage somehow in solving that problem, that's also going to be at a very surface level. Because we don't really know how to solve the problem. We don't even know what the nature of the problem really is. We see something we don't like, and we'd like to do something about it because we're good people. But now it takes a journey with God to begin to discover what is the real nature of that problem. And then as we go along it for a while, 
how do I become an agent that actually creates some uh, betterment effect on that problem? I don't just do it because I recognize it. Oh, we have this problem in the world. Yeah, so what? Doesn't matter. We have to figure it out. What is the root problem? And then once we figure out the root problem, how do I get strong enough to change the root problem? That's a whole series of things that we're going to wander around. Nothing wrong with wandering around. Nothing wrong with trying and failing, by the way. It's all good. It's all part of the struggle. Because when we sort of go, we say, oh, I'm going to do this. And then you do that and it doesn't work. Oh, I'm such a failure. No, you're not. You just figured out another way to not do it. And go to God and say, okay, tick that one off. What else should I do? You may, you may try a whole bunch of yours, like me, me going to Africa, you know, when I was with Father Frank that time. I had all my great ideas. And we spent the whole time, I don't know if I told you this story or not, but a whole, you know, we went up from, from uh, uh, we were in uh, Zambia. We went from <laughs> Lusaka, the capital where we were staying, and we go up north on the, what's called the Great North Road, and that goes all the way up through the different towns where I used to live as a boy. And then I looped it around at the copper mines and came back down again. That was a long drive, a day and a half. We were probably in this... <laughs> 47-year-old Toyota pickup, no air conditioning in Uganda, Africa, in Zambia, Africa. At this time, I'm sharing with him all of my great ideas. And he was going, that won't work, that won't work, that won't work, that won't work. Until we ended up almost back in Lusaka again at the Maplehurst Hotel on the Great North Road. If you ever go there, great smosis. The sitting on the little park bench right there. And finally, everybody else, uh, we were there with a few people, friends of ours, and everybody else went in to get samosas. And so I finally, in my humility, now that I was alone, I <laughs> asked Father Frank. So here I am, humbled in your presence after spending an entire life. I think we were, when I was probably 50 at the time. That's all of my plans from 50 years of giving it deep thought. And he said, won't work, won't work, won't work, won't work. So I said, what should we do? Father Frank's answer to me is, you know, go home, Ian, and raise up an army of a thousand pastors who know how to put hope in back in the hearts of my people. See, that was the answer. The problem wasn't what I saw and how I could, you know, use the North American, just throw a bunch of money at it in order to solve the problem. The problem was different. And when you can see it deeper... And then you're ready to prepare yourself to solve a deeper problem. Even if it takes my whole life, a thousand people is a lot of people. That was in 2000 and I think nine. It's 10 years ago now. Dear Jesus. And we're still at it. Plan hasn't changed. Because it's the answer. The kingdom is the answer. Putting hope back in the hearts of people, that's the answer. You see that? But that was not necessarily apparent when I spent the first 50 years trying to figure out how to solve this problem. Studying everything that had been, there is of what we've done for hundreds of years to try and help. You see, there's a deeper thing that happens when you're willing to engage in the equation. And God deepens your understanding of the problem that you're called to fix. And he deepens your empowered person that he's willing to empower through this journey to solve that problem. And he does it all in the midst of, will you just make the hard decision? What looks hard, simple. Will you just be ready to go and struggle? You may not. I've discovered that. You don't know. It looks like you're going to struggle, but you don't always. 
Imagine a perfect world and then set yourself to the struggle to bring it to pass. At first, you'll see the problem shallow and have a shallow solution to the problem. Allow God to deepen your understanding of the problem and empower you to prepare and get better in your ability to solve it. Struggle is only bad. This is gonna maybe knock you out a little bit. Struggle is only bad if you fear it. It prevents your soul from engaging in anything that could lead to a struggle. God wants to use these situations. He does not design them, and he's not thinking it's awesome that you have to go through them. He thinks it's awesome when you come out the other side. Can I tell you, the Lord said this to me, this is years ago now. He said, Ian, I will never allow you to go through a trial that the victory that you get from the trial is worth less than the price you paid to get it. I will never let you go through a trial that the victory that you get from the trial is worth less than the price you paid to get it. That means in every single trial that is going on in your life right now and everyone that will come from here on, there is always a victory that you will say at the end of the day, I wouldn't, worst, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, but I am so glad that I'm standing here today. Simply because, now a lot of times we do the God, <laughs> yeah. It'll, it's much of a rabbit trail. Sometimes he will even, will God trick you? God will inspire you in only the way God can inspire you to obey him. And that will get you on that path sometimes because that's critical that you learn it. And there will be a grace for you to go the hard way for a moment. And that will empower you to go that way. And then you'll find yourself in the middle of like, who, where the heck am I right now? And how in the world did I get here? How many of you have ever had any of those experiences? Because this is essential. You had to take the stairs on that one. And if God left it to you, you wouldn't have done it. And if he'd have told you what was about to happen, if you do do it, then you for sure wouldn't have done it. <coughs> but God needs strong folk. Is this making sense to anybody? So, so it's, it's the ability in God with him. That's why the covenant thing, which we're a little off, we're taking a little sidebar tonight. But the covenant thing is so essential to the journey of a human being. It's, it's the source of the bravery. It's the source of that ability, that courage to take that way with God at that, at that uh, intersection. And so let's just, as I close, I'm gonna try to get done in a couple seconds. I just don't, I don't want to come back to the struggle teaching. There's watching the stages of, of our struggle. In the very, in our lives, normal human life, we struggle against deception and the fruit of deception trees. Remember Matthew chapter seven, that Jesus says, you know, good tree, good fruit, bad tree. It doesn't say bad tree. Um, it says corrupt tree. Corrupt is like, you know, like, you're, like a, prog a software program. If it gets corrupt, it's got bad information in it, right? And so it's like a tree with bad information in it. It's, it's lies, deceptions. 
that those deceptions, we've been through this before, is it produces all of this stuff going on in your life and those things cause us to struggle. That, we don't even know that's what's causing us to struggle. We're not, we're not enlightened in that stage. We don't, we don't get the fact of the mechanism of how this works, but we're gonna struggle. People in the world struggle. Don't think that the richer you get, the less you struggle. That, that's only what people who don't have money think. When you have money, it doesn't stop you. You get to struggle more sometimes. It's more difficult. You have more responsibility. You're, you know, you've got to, you know, if you've got to borrow gold, you've got to have a security system to protect your gold. That's a lot of struggle. But people think that you, go, you can get someplace when there's no struggle. There's no place. Then the second then, so you struggle to survive. That's just natural man, right? Struggling against what, it, what they think are hostile environments, the world, the life, this thing. We struggle to survive. We struggle to be a good person. We struggle to follow our heart. We struggle to find a new path and then we struggle to take it. It's all struggle. And then we sort of, there's a new path that we're gonna try. What the hell, I guess we're at that place. Should we, should we try church? Try everything else. So then you come to church and then you find out that there's more struggle. <laughs> I gotta do this Jesus is Lord thing. Well, that really means that I used to be the boss of my life and now I'm no, I don't get to be the boss of my life anymore. Right. You might have forgotten, but that's tough. I'm submitting myself to another person. I'm doing it right, I'm doing that. And now I'm gonna take instructions from somebody else. And then I'm finding out that some of those instructions, they're hard. I have to struggle to take the instructions. So even though I'm coming into the kingdom, just getting into the kingdom and saying, well, you know, you're supposed to come back next Sunday. Really? That's, I don't feel like getting up again. That's a struggle. <laughs> and then we struggle, then we start dealing with the creature, you know, self. That's a struggle of truths. This stage. Make sure that the light that is within you is not actually darkness. Struggle. And I got to start dealing with these issues. I didn't even know they were issues. And I got to start wrestling and wrestling and wrestling. I don't want to. I, don't, I, like, I like what I already believe. And God just won't leave you alone. You know, it's a struggle to make these decisions to finally get to the place where you're at least freed up a little bit. The journey of these struggles, it's like then Pastor Ian has got this thing going on with teach them to obey. That's more struggle. Don't I just get to pick and choose? I like cherry picking Christianity better. That's a struggle too, can you hear that? All of these things, no matter where we are going in life, it is a struggle. And then you get into the kingdom, and then you get into the covenant realm. Oh, that's just awesome. I don't have to struggle. And probably the very first, I wouldn't know, but the very first thing that God is going to say for you to do is do something to care for somebody else. And live your life solving the problems for other people. How many of you know that can be a bit of a struggle? Ever tried? You get to feel the pain of other people. Do you remember in uh, John 11, somewhere, 35, my guess? It's the shortest 
scripture in the Bible. Does anybody know what the shortest scripture, if you've been to Sunday school, you know. What is the shortest scripture in the Bible? It is Jesus wept. Why did he wept? He already knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. What was he wepting for? He was wepting because he could feel the pain of all these other people that were around him. You know, when you get into the covenant realm, you start, if you listen to, uh, who are you listening to this morning? Her name was Mozambique, is Heidi Baker. You ever seen Heidi Baker? Either she's really super good at this stuff, or she's feeling the pain of the people that are around her. You see, what happens is when you step into some of these, there's struggle in it all. And then God starts to show you because of this, this desire that you have, now you are not only knowledgeable about the pain that is going on in other people's lives, you feel it intensely and then God is starting to show you how you can solve this problem. So I thought I was done, Lord. And he goes, you just started. And now in order to be able to bring the kingdom of God into that situation and solve the problem, God starts to work with you and cause you to become this God-indwelt in, person through whom the very presence of God flows into issues of unrighteousness. Now, I don't mean that being, you know, sin as it were, but places where there is anything less than the kingdom of God going on in their life. And he's going to empower you to be that conduit of his life into that situation and solve that problem. More struggle. More becoming. And in the becoming is struggle. And all we have to do to engage in this freakishly awesome system is have the willingness and the fortitude, and the bravery to step out. If I struggle, I struggle. My destiny is worth it. The only, can I tell you this? Is, the Lord said this to me too. If I, if I drew a line of Ian's life, what God sees, I'd put a line from that wall to that wall, right? This life would be the thickness of the paint on that wall, right? Because I'm going to live for a gazillion years. So are you. Good place, bad place, don't matter. You're going to live for a, a gazillion years. This life is the only life where you can struggle. After you're done here, the ride's over. There's no more struggling. The only place you will ever get to struggle is here. Think of it, see that? Say, okay, so let's make it a ride. Let's not make it a misery. Right. Let's make it a ride. I get on the, what do you call that thing at Darien Lake? The Raptor or something like that? I know. 
It's going to be two minutes, and I'm going to come off that thing all discombobulated because I'm getting bounced. That's the ride. Let's do it again. There is no do it again, by the way. It's just once. If we could let us, let our mind get set free of all of this patterning that we have got from our culture. You know, Wesley says, you know, if somebody tells you that life is not pain, they're just trying to sell you something. Wesley is from The Princess Bride, if you did not know the movie. (laughs) There is struggle everywhere. It's just embrace it. I'm, I'm not telling you just embracing it, by the way. I'm telling you to take charge of it. I'm telling you to struggle on purpose in the direction where God is leading you. Don't struggle over here under the boot of the devil. God is not intending for you to struggle there. And don't struggle way over there where you're not supposed to be. Struggle here. Struggle in the call. Struggle in the destiny. Struggle in obedience to God. That's where you want to struggle. Because that's what's going to make you stronger and set for the journey. Put your hand over your heart. Say, God, can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm ready for the victories I'm going to get through all these struggles. I'm not afraid to struggle anymore. I know you're with me. I know you'll never leave me. I know you'll never forsake me. I know I wouldn't even be facing this if the victory over this wasn't worth it. So here I am. I'm deciding to get some victories. Victories need battles. So I'm ready for the battle because I want the victory. The victories are going to be the book that is written about my life. And that book is worth the living. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.